chosen a passage from the prophet Isaiah that I thought fitting for this holiday weekend. This is Isaiah 65. This is a, a prophecy written about the time the Hebrews are returning from captivity in Babylon back to their former home in Jerusalem. God says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred will be considered a youth and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed of the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. But the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Thanks be to God for God's wonderful promises. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The title of this sermon is America the Beautiful? The question mark is meant to be provocative. Just to reduce your stress level, I will tell you that personally my answer is yes, America is beautiful. But it's a little complicated right now, isn't it? Last week in the Atlantic, Tom McTagg wrote, We are accustomed to, lis to listening to those who loathe America, admire America, or fear America, sometimes all at the same time, but to pity America? In April, the New York Times claimed that our European allies are looking on in disbelief at the richest, most powerful nation in the world. And that was before George Floyd died. Have you ever been to Minneapolis? It's paradise. 25 years ago, I visited the city when I was interviewing for an open position there, and I can't remember why I didn't stay. Those lakes, those stunning building, buildings in the center of the city, Minneapolis shimmers. It is exhibit A of what the beloved old hymn means when it says, Thine alabaster cities gleam undimmed by human tears. The people are Midwest Lutheran nice, and it doesn't feel shallow or false or unreal. Minneapolis is Lake Wobegon writ large. But not for everyone, right? Minneapolis is a twin city because it's adjacent to St. Paul, but also because it has twin identities, and those identities do not resemble each other. Minneapolis is a little bit bipolar. Rod Carew is a hero in Minneapolis. He played first and second base for the Twins for 12 wonderful years. He ended his career with a 328 batting average. He was the AL batting champion seven times, including in 1977 when he hit 388. He had 3,000 hits, and he is one of 57 Major League Baseball players 
who were elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame on the first ballot. To stay in shape during the offseason, Rod Carew loved to run the streets of Minneapolis, but he stopped because the police kept apprehending him. He says that to a white cop, a black man running is running away from something. David Diggs played the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson in the musical Hamilton on Broadway and on Disney. He lives in Los Angeles. He says that between the ages of 22 and 25, the police stopped him 40 times. Never got a ticket. 40 times in three years. I don't know how he had time to rehearse. Stacy Dickerson lives near Denver. She's a white woman married to a black man, and of course her daughter is biracial. Stacy says that one day her dog died, and after that sad event, she was driving to Denver, and a policeman stopped her for speeding in a small town, and when she rolled down the window to talk to him, she just burst into tears. It wasn't his fault. He was perfectly nice. She was just so sad about her dog. He didn't know what to do, so he checked her license and registration, and after a few minutes, he let her go with a warning. Two weeks later, since he had all her information, he asked her out on a date. She went. Stacy says that she's been pulled over by the police three times in her life, all for speeding. She says, one time I got a warning, another time I got a ticket, and the third time I got a date. When that policeman pulled me over, I was sad about my dog and angry at myself for speeding, but I was not nervous. And then she says, you know what makes me nervous? When my black husband and biracial daughter leave the house without me. He's been accused of stealing his own car. He's been pulled over at gunpoint. He's been asked why he's in his own neighborhood. When he's traveling with white people, the police ask them, are you okay? This has happened in every region of the country. Nations are like individuals. They have to be honest. They have to self-examine, celebrate the virtues, and confront and redress the flaws. And if they don't struggle with that sometimes painful process of self-examination, both nations and individuals will continue to be a brew of false and true until the last of all their days. America is very beautiful. She taught the world how to do democracy, and she taught it right. Our democracy is resilient. It has survived for 244 years, despite revolution, civil war, depression, Pearl Harbor, 9-11, and global pandemic. Through that sage Thomas Jefferson, America taught the world that all men are created equal. Yes, it should have been all people are created equal. And yes, the definition of men should have included black men, but it was a start. Nobody had ever thought this way before. Well, Jesus did, but no national government has ever paid any attention to him. And this idea was philosophically and politically revolutionary. In that Atlantic article, Tom McTagg asks, as ugly as the George Floyd protests turned out to be among authorities and citizens alike, can you imagine them happening in Moscow or Beijing or even now come to think of it in Hong Kong? 
These protests, this painful process of self-examination are possible. Fox News and CNN are possible. The New York Times and the Wall Street Journal are possible because those rights have been enshrined in the First Amendment to the American Constitution since 1789. This land is very beautiful. We have the tallest trees, redwoods, and the largest cave system, system, mammoth. We have two spectacular coastlines, three if you count the Great Lakes, four if you count the Gulf of Mexico separately, Five, if you count Hawaii's beaches. Six, if you count the Alaskan coast on the Arctic Ocean. We have the Grand Canyon and Old Faithful. We have the Mojave Desert and a 20,000-foot mountain. We have active volcanoes and polar tundra and grasslands and rainforests and the Everglades. America is very beautiful, but is she exceptional? Probably but in many ways, not all of them good. Here's a list of things America leads the world in, the developed world. Gross domestic product and poverty, productivity and inequality, business startups and national debt and student debt, college graduates and prisoners, charitable giving and obesity, expenditure on research and development and divorce, number of police officers, and the number of murders, and the number of crimes, technology, and prescription drug use, and illegal drug use. Infant mortality is higher in America than in Greece, Hungary, and Lithuania. Cuba, Puerto Rico, and Costa Rica have longer life expectancies than the United States. America is very beautiful. Look, I think Kathy Van Dyken is the most beautiful woman in the world. Ken Harris disagrees with me. He's not wrong. Kathy has been given to me, and I to her. It is my job, my calling, my gift, and my joy to see and to appreciate and to speak her beauty. Ken Harris's job is to see and to appreciate and to speak the beauty of his beloved. America has been given to me, and I to her. It is my job, my joy, and my gift to see, to appreciate, and to speak her beauty. But an Irishman will talk about Irish exceptionalism. It is his job to see, and to appreciate, and to speak Irish beauty. Neither of us is wrong. But in this whole challenging process of self-examination, among the most valuable Americans are her critics. The great African-American author James Baldwin said, I love America more than any country in the world, and for just this reason I reserve the right to criticize her perpetually. Colin Kaepernick is a super-patriot. He kneels during the national anthem because white men are kneeling on black men's necks. He wants us to self-examine. The poet Adrian Rich says, A patriot is not a missile. A patriot is someone who wrestles for the soul of her country. Someone who wrestles for the soul of her country. 
I love the description that Isaiah promises of that enchanting and livable land. When the prophet wrote this, the Hebrews were in much worse shape than America has ever been. Jerusalem lay in ruins and the people were homeless and landless and disenfranchised. But Isaiah's promise is that God is not finished with them yet. What waits for God's people is a land where no more shall there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out his entire lifetime. A person who dies at a hundred will be considered a youth. Like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. They shall not labor in vain or bear children in calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord. Now the earth has never known such an alluring land. It's just a wistful hope or a patriot dream. But it's a beautiful dream. It's something to reach up toward. Catherine Lee Bates' hymn, America the Beautiful, is virtually a paraphrase of Isaiah's promise, his patriot dream. Miss Bates lived in Wellesley, Massachusetts, but she was in Colorado attending a conference, and she was inspired to write this poem on an excursion to the summit at Pikes Peak. On her journey west, she traveled under spacious skies and saw amber waves of grain, probably in Nebraska, right? And when she arrived at Pike's Peak, she noticed the purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain. This was in 1893, and so on her way west, she stopped off in Chicago to see the Chicago World's Fair, and that's where she saw the White City. And that was the inspiration for the alabaster cities that gleam undimmed by human tears. We haven't realized our alabaster cities yet, but we'll never stop trying until our dying day. Langston Hughes said, Let America be the dream the dreamers dreamed. Let it be that great land of love where never kings connive nor tyrants scheme that any man be crushed by one above. America the land that never has been yet and yet must be. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen.